And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Yuri Brito. And alongside me also is my wife, Deb. Uh, Pastor Yuri, it's great to have you on with us. It's been a little while. It's a delight to be back with you, Dan. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks for putting up with me. Now and then I would ask you, and I, I know you were terribly busy, and you were always so kind in, in giving me a, a reason why you couldn't make it at the time, and then fit me in for this. So we got about 20 minutes today. We want to thank you very much. Um, Pastor Yuri. there's a lot that has happened in America uh, in the past several weeks even. And, you know, one of the things that come to the surface, of course, is um, the reversal of Roe. And for many, many listeners, uh, that's all they've known for their whole lifetime. You know, I was probably around 18 when that was uh, decided. But for many people, that's all they've known. And there's so much more to talk about. One of the themes we see coming from you guys there in Pensacola, uh, where your church is, is uh, the singing of praises to God, and almost like the war songs of the Prince of Peace. So can you get us started today and, and talk about what's on your mind during a time like this? Well, I think gratitude should be a, a massive understatement. I think the people of God have a role to manifest their, their thankfulness, and they have to live and in biblical categories, what we call a Eucharistic life, which is a life of, of thankfulness, a life of where we um, express those things which are to be expected of those who are image bearers. God creates us in the spirit of, of kindness and mercy, and the people of God, in order to reflect their image-bearing status, need to speak back in some ways. The conversation between God and men always ought to be, a conversation where God gives gifts to men, and men respond with gratitude, mm. because it's undeserving. And so in the conversation about Roe v. Wade, I think the Church ought to uh, consider, once again, how that gratitude is manifested. And it should be manifested more than a mere words or a blog post here and there. We're all extremely grateful for the kindness that God has uh, done in our country. But then there's a particular way of gratitude that can seem very trivial, you know, thanks, um, but we got this, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. And the Christian needs to say, no, thanks, but you have all of this. And one way that the Christian does this is by singing God's songs back to him. God is a, a tender father. He is a God who is jealous for his glory. And God has given the church compositions to be used in times of not only persecution, but in times of triumph. And so the songs of the Scriptures, even the songs outside the Psalter that are psalmic-led and psalmic-inspired, like the song of, of Moses in Exodus 15, and I will sing to Yahweh, for he has triumphed gloriously. <laughs> the horses and the chariots he has hurled into the sea. Yahweh is a God of strength, the God of my salvation. These are the kinds of songs we sing in these things, because what, what has happened in Roe v. Wade apart from all the, the political manifestations in the background, what has happened in Roe v. Wade is that God has taken the horses and chariots philosophy of paganism, which is what it is, Roe v. Roe v. Wade is essentially at a national level, the legalization of barbaric practices. God has taken that horses and chariots philosophy, and God has hurled them into the sea. Mm. What God has done is essentially said, you know, the Egyptians are coming after us, but if we keep being faithful, if we keep 
protesting, if we keep praying, if we keep petitioning our God to do what he says he will do, God will eventually use the waters to flood the Egyptians instead of flooding us. And that's what he did. And the Psalms kind of give us the language to sing of the destruction of the wicked. It's a destruction in philosophy. It's not a a physical destruction of the wicked. But the destruction of philosophy, I think, precede the destruction of the wicked long term. And so um, you can either bow down to Jesus Christ as, as Lord, or Jesus Christ will make you bow down as Lord. Yeah, that's that is so very true, and and it, at first blush, it it sounds awfully harsh, but it's not because we're talking about a God who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and He will have no other gods set above Him, and with time, uh, uh, He He always wins, and sometimes it even turns me off when people says, "Oh, you know, God's got that; He wins." Well, yeah, we all know that, <laughs> but you know what? He really does, right? Um, and it's a winning that maybe doesn't quite fit our expectations because um, he does cast his enemies down. Sometimes I'll pray that the Lord will cast down his enemies, and by that I mean, Pastor Yuri, that he will save them or else just physically cast them down. And and I, I would much rather see that the, the, the pagan comes to faith in Christ, right? Absolutely. I, I think our desire is to see the reversal of, of paganism. Abraham Kuyper spoke a lot about this, that, you know, paganism and Christianity are two opposing sides. They're constantly at war since Genesis chapter 3 and will be to the end of history. But um, paganism, like in the days of Jonah, can also take the the, the face of the king of Nineveh, uh, which means that um, with the proclamation of the gospel, we can see, Lord willing, uh, kings of the earth, um, rising up from their thrones, casting off their cloaks, and sitting down in dust and ashes, and turning their faces towards um, towards Zion, rather than towards their own self-aggrandizement. And I think that's kind of an expectation we have. The Psalms of imprecation that you mentioned briefly, uh, Dan, the Psalms of imprecation are Psalms that speak of the destruction of the wicked and, and speak very boldly about the destruction of wickedness. But the destruction of wickedness can happen in in two senses, as you mentioned. It can be the destruction of their evil and uh, rotten hearts, transformed by the Spirit, or it can be the destruction of their own wicked schemes. In Psalm chapter 2, the wicked conspire against God and His anointed, and God essentially looks at them and laughs them in derision, which is the history of civilization. the, The history of civilization is a history of tragedy and comedy, and it's tragedy upon the wicked, but for God's people it is a a case of eternal laughter, because their schemes eventually, uh, they become self-destructive, and whatever holes they are digging for us ends up becoming the holes they fall into. So it's one of those cases where you have this uh, enormous amount of patience that God expresses towards these kinds of things, and if you take for granted God's mercy and God's patience, then that mercy and patience turn then into wrath and justice. Mm. Amen. Our guest today is Pastor Yuri Brito, and he pastors Providence Church in Pensacola, Florida. And Pastor Brito, before we go too far, and we only have a few minutes left yet, actually, can you give us some uh, web addresses and places where people can go to read more? The places where I'm most active, uh, apart from my, my Facebook page at 
U-R-I-E-S-O-U on Facebook, um, is Kyperion.com, which is K-U-Y-P-E-R-I-A-N.com, or for things that are a bit more in relationship to the kinds of work I do at Providence, they can go to yuribrito.com, which is U-R-I-B-R-I-T-O.com. And those are the kinds of places where you'll see uh, me being most prolific on my keyboard. <laughs> and one more time, say your Facebook uh, ID. Yeah, my Facebook ID is, it'll be just facebook.com slash U-R-I-E-S-O-U. U-R-I-E-S-O-U, and that'll be a good place. I also have a public Facebook page, which is uh, Pastor Urieso, which is my full name, U-R-I-E-S-O-U, and that's a public page where I have, when you kind of, Facebook sort of gives you limitations on how many friends you can have. Once that happens, I've been, the overflow of that's been going to my (laughs) public page where I post a similar thing. It's one way around my conundrum. (laughs) There's so many uh, avenues of uh, interaction today. It just is overwhelming. But uh, again, our guest is Yuri Brito. And um, Yuri, one of the more recent postings I found, I think it was on yuribrito.com, showed a picture of you uh, wearing your red tie. And you were talking about uh, (laughs) coming to the States, and it was in the context of the 4th of July. Can you share a little bit of that story with our listeners? Right, right. Well, I'm still recovering from it, but we can talk a little bit about it. It's been quite a festive day. This was a, a threefold occasion. We had parties in the morning, uh, afternoon, and the evening. So we are um, we are enjoying the the uh, the fruits of of that uh, that feasting. <laughs> yeah. So as you know, Dan, from the, I think I've shared with you in the past. You know, I became a United States citizen uh, close to about a decade ago, and I think it's it's become for me. A way of it has given me a, a variety of reasons for for extending sort of my gratitude tour, and that has become sort of a desire of my heart because it, sometimes I have to illumine people's minds and in, in re, the realities of the world because so many people just have grown up here and they this is all they've known and they've seen the the good the bad and the ugly and the tendency the human tendencies just take all that for granted. And I try to bring sort of a fresh perspective into this here. Not that I had a miserable upbringing in Brazil, but in light of the liberties, the the prosperity, the kindness, the community, the the church here, the churches here in the United States, it's not that the United States is something unique among a few nations here or there. You know, among Canada or uh, you know Mexico or other nations around other continents, is that the United States has provided for a variety of reasons, the greatest capability for human beings to prosper under the reign of Jesus Christ. Yes. And that means that uh, Christians have now to steward this great country well. That means they have to fight like Christians have been fighting for 50 years to reverse Roe v. Wade, and that God's God's, uh, promises do come in due time. And it means that Christians ought to return to their fundamental role as human beings, which is the fundamental role of worship. So if Roe v. Wade does not lead Christians to be present every Sunday morning, and it has been a victory that's been in vain for those individuals. And so if Roe v. Wade is merely an opportunity to put a couple of memes or a couple of, uh, you know, get a few additional, additional likes on your Facebook page, it becomes worthless. It becomes a gift that rots in time. It's yes. like a milk that expires that sits in the fridge. You're pleased with it, but you don't use it. 
And so Christians need to take advantage of this, but they also need to do some serious um, self-analysis of where they have taken God's kindness for granted. And for me, as I said earlier to you, I am sort of, there's, I have one main theme that I, I articulate from the pulpit virtually every Sunday, is that the Christian is first and foremost a homo adorans, meaning he is a worshiping being, and that is what makes him human. If you take the worship dimension out of his humanity, he becomes an, um, an incapable human, a human that's not living according to how God designed him to be, which means practically that the Christian ought to ask the question, how often should I go to church once in his lifetime? Not every Saturday night, not on Sunday morning. If he's late on Saturday night or sleeps in Sunday morning. That question has to be decided once. And I tell all the young folks who I do premarital counseling for, you decide this question right now in my presence because I want to be a witness of that. <laughs> and so unless you're providentially hindered, which can happen, obviously, um, God has a demand for you, and it is an invitation for you. And so how dare you to um, refuse the invitation of the Almighty God in light of all the good things he has done for you and for this nation? Mm. So for me, I look at Roe v. Wade as a way of just circling back to the fundamental issue we're grateful for God, but God says come into his presence and to his courts with, with praise and thanksgiving. So if we don't act on that thanksgiving, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. Mm. Yes. You have a church um, in, Prov- in uh, Pensacola, Florida, that God has, right. God has built up. And I, I believe you maybe, I think you may rent some space for your church, Um but that's beside the point. But you meet there every Sunday in worship, and um, it's um, kind of liturgical. Right? But it's not Roman Catholic. Can you describe how your church service flows? Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a great question. We have been here in Pensacola for 14 years now. And our congregation is certainly very different than when you experience here in the South. In the South, this is a, a Southern Baptist world, essentially in some ways, just controlled by that kind of general ethos of a contemporary flavor and, um, you know, very gifted professionals sort of leading the, the service and all that. But Providence kind of taken a different position altogether, but we believe the Scripture sort of orchestrates worship through a covenantal model known as covenant renewal, which is the kind of language you see in the book of Joshua and other books in the Bible. So, our worship essentially follows the pattern of what I call the five C's, Dan, and it's where God calls us into worship. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord God, our Maker. And then God calls us to confession, to confess our sins, because when Christians come into God's presence, what they bring with them is the sin that makes the sacrifice of Jesus necessary. And so we come with confessing hearts, and God forgives us after that, and then God calls, we confess, and then God consecrates us, which is when the two-edged sword of Hebrews 4.12 comes into play. It's the preaching of the Word that, that cuts us asunder, that doesn't return void, that changes us, transforms us, and forms us to something else. And then God doesn't just cut us and leave us bleeding in the altar. God puts us back together, restores us, and then gives us a table before the presence of our enemies in Psalm 23. And so we call that the communion. So we call confession, consecration, communion. And then the last step 
is where God says, now that I have restored you, I have put you back together, you have confessed your sins, I have declared your sins to be forgiven, now you're commissioned to go out into the world and proclaim the good news of the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so that structure essentially puts the Christian always in this sort of evangelistic ethos and mood, meaning that from the beginning to the end, he's being prepared to go out into the world and share the good news. And interestingly enough, the expectation that we have of our society today is that anybody who's under the age of 24 or 26 is going to look at that and say, oof, yuck, uh, I don't want any of that. <laughs> but the reality has been actually the opposite here. And in many places around the country, as I have traveled to do conferences, the reality is that these kinds of churches that have taken these issues seriously and have um, treated the Bible as not just um, something to be considered afterwards, but as the central guide for how we ought to do worship, that has become an, a massive attraction, especially during this uh, post-COVID age. So we're actually, um, we love to have our, our elderly saints, our, our gifted, our wise saints, but interesting enough, our congregations have attracted an enormous amount of young parents with little children, and so which gives a lot of our more experienced and mature saints plenty of work. You know, as Titus says, older women teach younger women, and so our older women have really uh, stepped up and uh, been able to add a lot of wisdom, so have our, our men as well, into a lot of these, these this younger sort of platform that we have in our congregation. And so it's been a really... A beautiful season for us, and we're grateful that God has used it. something that in many ways doesn't appeal to the world, but I think if we keep our focus where it needs to be, um, our worship will be pleasing in the sight of God. I think you're right on, and I believe that young families especially um, will find this very attractive because the, the typical approach is, can I say, is very cheap. And it's and it's yeah. and it's entertainment based, but this is this is very interactive, isn't it? The people of God are interacting with God Himself in worship uh, throughout the whole service, right? That's right. That's right. There is a there is a um, you know worship ought to be in some ways a, a dialogue between God and man, mm. and um, Christians need to realize that um, God is not the God of Islam. He's not a God that is simply content with being monotheistic. He is a God who is monotheistic and Trinitarian. He's one and three and three and one, which mm. means that plurality means that God desi- He calls us not to just simply offer us a speech or a lecture. He calls us to commune with Him. And that's a privilege that the primeval saints had, that Abraham had, that the prophets had, um, that the first century church had, and that's a privilege that the church in 2022 also has. And so we need to be very self-aware of the kind of grandiose uh, joy that we should have when we come into his presence, that the God of all creation who made heaven and earth and all that is within it would desire to commune with his people. So we should be, uh, you know, the, the kind of people who reflect that joy when we come into his presence uh, each Lord's Day, and as a consequence, wherever we go, because wherever we go, we carry his name with us. And so that should be a very evident in our lives. 
You know, um, we started off talking about Bro and also the 4th of July a little bit, that theme, and becoming an American citizen 10 years ago. I'm thinking that uh, a person that you just described that goes through this every Lord's Day and has his heart uh, towards the things of God really makes the best sort of a citizen, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. As you mentioned, I became a citizen 10 years ago. I've been here much longer, and I think when you look at that, uh, that reality as a citizen from another country, realize that um, God has been, um, God does something to human beings. He places people where he desires for them to be, and he raises them from that perspective. And so the kingdom of God does not have its origin on earth. The kingdom of God is from heaven, as the Gospel of Matthew teaches us. And that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God remains in heaven. Rather, the kingdom of God is interested, and it has become, um, fully, uh, uh, fully capable of descending upon earth, and it has descended in the person of Jesus Christ. So if Christians in the United States and around the world, specifically in our context here, if we realize that our citizenship is also is, is first and foremost in heaven, but that God desires to bring that citizenship to earth, then that means that the blueprint that we have in our original citizenship, we take wherever we go. So if heaven is, in a particular way, designed, the architecture of heaven um, is done in a specific way, the language of heaven is done a specific way, then however that's done, we bring it down to wherever we are here in Pensacola or around the country. And if we fail to do that, then we are misunderstanding our citizenship. If we only think that true citizenship will only exist when we are in heaven one day, or on the other side of things, true citizenship only exists if we function as good old-fashioned Americans, we're missing, we're, we're falling to one of these two ditches. The reality is that heaven doesn't remain only in heaven, and earth doesn't remain only on earth. Heaven and earth come together just as Christ brought heaven and earth together when he came from heaven to earth. And so the Christian citizen has something more in mind than simply existing. The Christian citizen desires to bring God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and doing that means living a life that reflects his first and most important citizenship. So if we bifurcate these two, or if we act exist as if um, we only live for the sake of the other, we're missing the kind of harmony that God puts in the Bible between heaven and earth. Amen. Heaven and earth are truly married in Jesus Christ. And we need to realize that this, this earth, to, to borrow the old song, Dan, when it says that this world is not our home, we're just passing through, that's the wrong assessment. Yes, This world is our home, and we're doing more than passing through. We're transforming it to fit into the model of heaven, to fit into the paradigm of heaven. And that's, that's our goal uh, now, and in some ways, will be our continual goal on the new heavens and new earth, to see, to, to live out that harmony that God has established. Oh, well put. Our guest today has been Pastor Yuri Brito. He does pastor Providence Church in Pensacola, Florida. One more time, Pastor Yuri, if someone wants to look you up online, where can they go? Okay, very good. They can visit me at Kyperian.com, which is a K-U-Y-P-E-R-I-A-N, which is a website with another 20, 20 authors that write for me, and they publish in all sorts of wonderful topics related to politics, Christian culture, and music, and different things of that nature. Or for something more 
sort of domestic and the domestic front or the kinds of things I write for church, you'll see it at yuribrito.com, U-R-I-B-R-I-T-O.com. And as I mentioned earlier, I also have a public Facebook page that uh, a few friends of mine compelled me to do against my will, but I decided <laughs> to do that. And it's a public page just for folks to read my material who sort of can't fit into my, my private uh, Facebook page. Very good. And uh, that that's spelled U-R-I-E-S-O-U, the true no- spelling of your first name. That's right. That's exactly <laughs> right. And uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real joy to be able to um, have a Brazilian spelling and to hear Americans attempted to pronounce it. So don't try, Dan. I won't even try. <laughs> <laughs> Pastor Yuri, um, and my wife has been right here alongside us all the time. Uh, greetings to you and your family and blessings from the Lord and thank you for joining us today Dan my pleasure and uh, real delight to meet your bride Deb and uh, the Lord be with you my brother okay thank you see you later and dear listener please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer